The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. China surprises by unexpectedly cutting interest rates as the world's second biggest economy continues to disappoint and global markets are sliding. U.S. futures also under pressure right now, putting the Dow's winning streak in jeopardy. Former President Donald Trump now facing new criminal charges in Georgia in connection to the probe into efforts to overturn the state's results in the 2020 election. The retail sector comes into focus today with earnings from Home Depot on the agenda. Will the results lead to a little remodeling project for that stock? And then the race to be the leader. In the fast-growing artificial intelligence market, RBC tells us who's ahead of the pack and which companies are lagging behind. It is Tuesday, August 15th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu and for Frank Holland today, let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. equity futures, which are sliding. You can see here the Dow Industrials implied lower by just about 165 points. The S&P implied lower by 17 and a 43% slide for the NASDAQ if we get these futures moves into the opening bell. If we check on the bond market, we can see those yields moving in that kind of mentality here as well, with at least a little bit of selling pressure here on some side of things, which is pushing yields higher. The 10-year note yield now back above 4.2%, 4.217 the last trade there. The two-year note yield pushing up on that 5% mark, 4.967%. And the 30-year long bond a hair below 4.32% right now. So again, government bonds in the U.S. falling, yields rising. In the energy markets, oil prices also showing some signs of downward moves here. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI crude prices down just about two-tenths of 1%, about $82.35. Similar percentage decline here, about one-tenth of 1% for ice Brent crude futures, $86.12 the last trade there. And nat gas prices, $2.82. Let's now get to that developing story. China's central bank unexpectedly cutting interest rates amid more disappointing economic data. Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with the details there. Uh, Eunice, how concerning is this? Because I believe global markets right now are looking at this move and saying, you know, this is a liquidity event. This is this is good. The government's stepping in. But why is the government having to step in? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, China cut uh, key policy rates by the most since the start of the pandemic three years ago. So it did. The message that was sent was exactly what you said, uh, that of heightened concern by the Chinese policymakers. And yet we haven't seen uh, major moves to try to stimulate and stabilize the economy. Now, in terms of what the central bank did, it cut its uh, one-year medium-term lending facility uh, by a, a surprise 15 basis points. So this is bigger than usual. And then in addition to that, it also cut its uh, seven-day reverse repo rate. This is a, a key rate 
that is used for short-term liquidity to the banks. Uh, the signal there has been to investors that we're going to see further um, easing to come. But it also, as you had suggested, has come at a time when the economic data was incredibly downbeat for July. Retail sales were up 2.5 percent from a year ago. So if you compare that to a time when we were more or less in lockup, uh, that's pretty bad. Uh, factory output missed. Fixed asset investment missed. Private investment shrank by half a percentage point year to date. Real estate investment also tumbled down 8.5 percent year on year. Urban unemployment kind of hanging in there, but still at about 5.3 percent versus 5.2 percent in June. But what's a big talker here right now, Dom, is the fact that the youth unemployment figure has now been suspended. So previously in June, the number hit a record to 21.3 percent. So that means one in five young people were having trouble finding a job. Uh, Now the government says that it needs what it described as further optimization of the methodology to try to figure out a different way or what they would say to be a more accurate way to assess these labor statistics. All right. Just what we want. Less transparency from the government statistics there. So, all right, uh, Eunice, I mean, you mentioned the real estate side of things. The the, the Statistics Bureau, uh, what do they really say more in depth about the real estate sector, uh, given what we're seeing with some of the biggest real estate companies and players out there right now? This is a real problem for the Chinese government and central bank. Absolutely. It's a major problem. And the Statistics Bureau did address the problems in the real estate sector by saying that this is an adjustment period um, and also saying that this is going to pass. So not surprisingly, uh, the Chinese authority is really trying to cast a more optimistic look at what's going on, though, of course, uh, the uh, major uh, discussion over here is that the government needs to do something about this crisis of confidence, uh, not only about the economy and consumption, but more specifically about what's going in the property sector. All right. And Eunice, we're showing right now the strength of the U.S. dollar versus the Chinese yuan moving higher and higher. Thank you very much, Eunice. We know you'll stay on top of this story for us. Let's now see how the global markets are taking that China news today. Jumana Bersechi is in our London newsroom with the latest market action on the European continent. And I do see a lot of red, Jumana. That's right, Dom. So uh, overnight markets have been tracking very closely all of the news that has been coming out of China. And initially, the reaction in stocks was a lot more negative. But of course, just in the last hour or so, it has emerged that PBOC uh, cut some of those short-term interest rates. So that gave a bit of a floor to the price action. So the Shanghai Composite actually ended the day only about seven basis points lower, just a couple of points in, in point terms. Hang Seng down 1%. As Eunice was saying, a lot of focus still on the property sector there, though we have seen some stabilization in Country Garden, albeit at very low levels. But we've also seen a lot of green as well in the Nikkei, up half a percent. Worth pointing out there that their GDP number for the quarter came at an annualized growth rate of 6%. So blasting through analyst expectations there. Over here in Europe, the mood is a lot more subdued. Uh, You can see all of these indices are trading in the red. We've got the FTSE over here in the UK down 1.2%. 
This mainly in reaction to some very strong wage data we got this morning, putting some pressure on the Bank of England again. So the markets were quick to reprice a faster hiking profile out of the Bank of England terminal rate now priced for 6%. So any interest rate since this sector has been selling off this morning. CAC and German indices also down almost 1% as well. Elsewhere, I also just want to remark that Russia, we've seen some movements in the ruble. At the central bank there has hiked rates by 350 basis points to 12 percent during an emergency meeting this morning. This after a plunge in the ruble over recent days, which sent it to over 100. This morning we're coming back. But of course, this is in response to that emergency meeting out of the central bank, Dom. All right, Jumana Brissetti with the latest market action in Europe. Thank you very much. Let's get more insight on all of this now with Ross Mayfield, investment strategy analyst over at Baird. Uh, Ross, this was a surprise move. The markets are lower because of it, or partly because of it, but they're not falling, panicking falling. What does it tell you right now that the world's second biggest economy may be taking extra steps to try to shore things up? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's no panic because this was kind of one of those known unknowns, right? The reopening has not gone the way that China wanted it to. The property sector has been languishing, you know, for most of the COVID experience. But there were problems that were known even before that, the way they levered up over the past 10, 15, 20 years in that sector. So some known issues and, you know, ultimately ex- expectations for the government to have to step in. I do think that the reaction is subdued and markets are off because, you do have to ask the question, how bad really is it under the surface? And if they're suspending the publication of key data, you do wonder, you know, all right, where is the transparency going? Does it mean there's something being obscured? Um, you know, broadly, it's it's bad for global growth if China is not participating. It, uh, You know, if you're U.S. policymakers, maybe you're happy. Maybe the reflation trade is a little bit off and commodities can give some reprieve. But by and large, it's bad for global growth. And I think you're seeing it reflected in the risk assets this morning. All right. So so with the U.S. markets, the way that they're reacting right now, we are seeing some fractional declines in U.S. equity futures. It's it's nothing really to worry about right now, but it still shows a little bit of a sign of weakness. If you take a look right now at the way that things are shaping up, the Nasdaq, the S&P, they're all seemingly wanting to take a breather right now. But the earnings catalysts have been generally good. So what exactly is the concern right now if the conventional wisdom is becoming that the Fed is near the end of its rate hiking cycle, corporate fundamentals are still good, and the economy, specifically jobs, are still holding up. Why the downside move in the market? Look, I, I think you're right about earnings, but, but so it's enough to put a floor under the market. Corporate fundamentals have held up. They've not fallen nearly as far as they would or historically have during a recession. They've not fallen nearly as far as many forecasts. Um, but at the same time, there's not exactly the, the catalyst to the upside, or at least we haven't gotten it yet in the same way that we had that NVIDIA moment last quarter, right? So, you know, earnings are still falling, profit margins are stabilizing, guidance is fine. So it's not a, an upside catalyst, but it does kind of put a floor into the market. We do need to see earnings continue to accelerate into Q, Q3 and Q4, and especially 2024. I think right now the market is capped. You've got a, a forward multiple of right around 1920. I mean, that's that's a pretty elevated multiple, especially considering the move in rates. Um, sentiment has gotten hot. Positioning is maybe a little bit more offside than it's been. So I think a, a, an orderly breather here is totally normal. We're in a seasonal rough patch. But again, amid a broader uh, trend that's improved and against a broader cyclical bull market that we think has legs into year end. All right. Ross Mayfield with the latest on the markets. Thank you very much. Let's get a check on this morning's top corporate story. Silvana is here with those. 
Good morning, Silvana. Hi, Dom. Good morning to you. Shares of U.S. Steel taking a breather today following yesterday's huge rally, where it jumped nearly 40 percent to its highest level since March. The move coming after another bidder emerged for the steelmaker, S-Mark. Now, that is a privately held company which is making a $7.8 billion all-cash offer. That tops the $7.3 billion bid from Cleveland Cliffs, which U.S. Steel rejected. Esmark is headed by James Bouchard. That's a former vice president for U.S. Steel's European business. U.S. Steel wouldn't comment specifically on Esmark's offer, but says it welcomes the company to join the multiple parties already involved in its process evaluating strategic alternatives. The major Hollywood studios have reportedly extended a new offer to striking writers, including concessions on the use of artificial intelligence. Bloomberg reports the studios have agreed to ensure writers will be credited for their screenplays and would not be replaced by AI. The report says Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos and Disney's Bob Iger have emerged as strong voices in seeking to reach a deal with the Writers Guild. And speaking of Iger and Disney, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says the company should drop its lawsuit accusing him of political retaliation related to his order to revoke Disney World's special tax district. The Republican presidential candidate spoke about the case with our Brian Sullivan on Last Call. We basically moved on. They're suing the state of Florida. They're going to lose that lawsuit. So what I would say is drop the lawsuit. You know, you have the state that even CNBC ranks as number one of all 50 states for economy. We lead the nation in new business formations. Unemployment is incredibly low. Great fiscal posture. People are bringing capital into Florida. This is a great place to do business. Your competitors all do very well here. Universal SeaWorld, they have not had the same special privileges as you have. So all we want to do is treat everybody the same and let's move forward. I'm totally fine with that, but I'm not fine with giving extraordinary privileges, you know, to one special company at the exclusion of everybody else. You can see the rest of Brian Sullivan's interview with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis right now on CNBC.com, Dom. All right. Thank you very much, Silvana, for that. We'll see you later on. See you later, Dom. Now, a lot more here to come on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. Also ahead, the move that Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway are making to get into one sector that's raising eyebrows on Wall Street. Plus, just about everyone and their brother is jumping in on that AI bandwagon, including two countries in the Middle East that are looking specifically at one of the biggest players in that booming AI market. We've got a very busy hour ahead, still ahead, when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. 
Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for our tech drivers. We've got shares of NVIDIA on the rise again today, looking to extend yesterday's nearly 10% rally. After analysts over at Morgan Stanley named the stock a top pick ahead of its earnings report coming up next week. And it's not just Morgan Stanley. The Financial Times reporting Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, UAE, they're buying up thousands of NVIDIA's high performance chips used in AI software as they look to supercharge their own economies. This as an increasing number of companies and countries are competing in the global AI arms race which your next guest, by the way, says will result in only a handful, handful of winners. Rishi Jaluria is the managing director and software at RBC Capital Markets. He joins me now here on set. Uh, thank you very much for the early wake up call and for your expertise here. I-, I wonder, AI is this rising tide for so many tech companies right now. But you're convinced it's only going to lead to that handful of companies really emerging as true winners. How do you pick them then? Yeah. And, and thanks so much for having me. You know, I draw the analogy to the early days of the Internet. The way we use the Internet today is leaps and beyond, you know, bounds beyond what we could have imagined, even at the height of the bubble in 1999. And yet ask, where is Webvan? Where is Pets.com? Where are all those, uh, you know, stalwarts of the bubble? It was really Amazon and, and maybe a handful of others that the value accrued to from that time. And I think AI is going to be like that. How do we pick them? I think we look, you know, especially in software, which is my area of coverage, I think we look at the companies where we're seeing the most amount of innovation happening, where they are moving quickly to really embrace um, generative AI, and where they're really re-architecting around that. And, and for me, that's names like not just Microsoft, that's, that's HubSpot and MongoDB as well. Okay, so, so there are the building blocks people, right? I mean, we talk about the NVIDIAs of the world, the hardware side of things, because they make the, the stuff that goes into some of these, you know, infrastructure type plays. You talk about the software companies and there's a bunch of people in the middle and there's a bunch of people who can use AI applications to drive their software business. Uh, Maybe a company like Salesforce, maybe a company like Zoom. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of others out there. What exactly then makes the value proposition more positive for some of those companies versus others? I think it's two things. Number one is the speed at which companies are moving. And there's a reason I, I deliberately said HubSpot, because HubSpot is challenging Salesforce very much head to head. And I would love to see, because Salesforce should be in a good position to benefit from generative AI, but it feels like I need to see a little bit more about out of Salesforce in terms of them acting and, and integrating this technology much more rapidly than what I've seen out of them. The other thing that I think really matters, and this is maybe an oversimplification, but we need to think, is integrating these generative AI features, are you adding more value than what someone can do on their own by having ChatGPT open in a separate browser window? That's really kind of the baseline test I'm looking for. And when I see these announcements, I see the product offerings, I talk to customers, that's what I'm really seeing is, are they delivering enough value that they can charge for this? If there's no monetization, it doesn't matter. There's, there's been a big question that I've, that I've heard a lot from traders and investors who are trafficking in many of these AI ecosystem type names. And that is what an appropriate valuation is. I mean, these are not companies that generate a ton of profits. They they may generate a modicum of sales. How exactly then do you say that a company is rightly or undervalued and has room to grow as opposed to one that may have already realized a lot of the gains already? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think we have to really think about that monetization piece, right? And, and you know, for a company like Microsoft or for a company like HubSpot, when we really take it to the model and we start to say, okay, you know, Microsoft's obviously a really profitable company, how much more incremental revenue and really how much more incremental free cash flow can Microsoft generate from things like Office Copilot, GitHub Copilot, Security um, Copilot, all the Azure open AI services? That one's kind of an easy one, but we can also think about what can HubSpot get as a result of of, of ChatSpot, what can a company like Nice, which sells contact center software, get uh, as a result of selling generative AI into the actual contact centers themselves? And ultimately, that's what where, where we make the decision: Are these stocks really pricing in too much? Is this a company like? Palantir that's pricing in way too much from AI versus what the economic reality is? Or is it a company like MongoDB, HubSpot, and Microsoft that we think that there's a lot of room to run on the backs of AI that's not in anyone's models yet? HubSpot, MongoDB, and even Microsoft. Rishi Jaluria, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, coming up on Worldwide Exchange, Warren Buffett finding a home for his latest investment. More on Berkshire Hathaway's latest big bet. That's coming up next. We'll be back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Let's get a check on this morning's top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Dom. Good morning. A sweeping 41-count criminal indictment. That's what a Fulton County grand jury brought against former President Trump and 18 of his allies late last night. The charges came following a major two-year investigation by District Attorney Fonnie Willis into alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia. As part of this indictment, Trump faces 13 new counts, including racketeering and conspiracy charges. The indictment alleges that rather than abide abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. All 19 defendants, including Rudy Giuliani and former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, have 10 days to turn themselves in voluntarily with an August 25th deadline. The former president has maintained his innocence. While speaking to Fox News Digital overnight, Trump called this a politically inspired indictment. For Tuesday, that is the big headline. Don, we send it back to you. All right, Francis Rivera, thank you very much for that. Now time for one of your big money movers, housing stocks. Shares of Lennar, DR Horton, and NBR are all moving higher, you can see, pre-market, after an SEC filing shows that Berkshire Hathaway took new positions in the home builders in the second quarter. This adding to an already impressive rally for that industry, with all three of those names up anywhere from 35 to 42 percent already so far this year. Residential real estate, shockingly, still on fire. Still to come on the show, the consumers in focus. Investors are gearing up for reports from some of the biggest retailers in the nation, plus retail sales data out later on this morning. 
We'll get you up to speed on what to expect. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app and platform of choice. It's Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. It is 529 a.m. here in the New York area, and there's still a lot on Worldwide Exchange coming up. Here's what's on deck. The U.S. markets are feeling pressure at this early hour for more disappointing economic data out of China and a surprise rate cut by the country's central bank. Home Depot getting set to report second quarter earnings later on this morning. What investors should be looking for in those results from the home improvement chain. And another big departure under Andy Jassy, the latest top executive getting set to walk through those exit doors at Amazon. It's Tuesday, August 15th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chewin for Frank Holland on this Tuesday morning. Let's pick up this half hour with a check on U.S. equity futures, which are offered right now. The Dow is implied lower by just about 170 points to the downside. The S&P 500 would go lower by about 17 points and the Nasdaq lower by 45 if these futures moves hold into regular cash equities trading at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. Now, if you look over in Asia, this was the driving force behind a lot of the negative sentiment so far. Basically, what we had is China's central bank cutting its interest rate on two or three key parts of the shorter to medium term side of their lending market. That implying perhaps that their economy does need more propping up the world's second biggest one right now. You can see the Nikkei in Japan was actually up a half a percent, but the Hang Seng in Hong Kong off one full percent in trading. The Shanghai Composite and the South Korean Kospi also showing some signs of red as well. Now, those Asian markets are carrying into European trading as well. As you take a look at the German DAX off about three quarters of one percent, the CAC in France, a similar percentage move to the downside, a one and a quarter percent drop for the FTSE 100 in the U.K., a little bit of a trend bucker in the FTSE MIB in Italy up one half of one percent and the IBEX 35 in Spain down three quarters of one percent. If you check on where bond yields are right now, we are seeing U.S. Treasuries fall in value and go up in yield. The benchmark 10-year Treasury note is now back above 4.2. In fact, just a hair below 4.22 percent. The two-year note yield 4.965 percent. And the 30-year long bond has now ticked higher in yield to 4.315%. So watch those prices falling in the U.S. Treasury side of things. Now, it's been just about a week since Moody's downgraded the credit rating on several regional banks and put many others on review. Now, another ratings agency may be close to following suit, targeting some of the nation's biggest lenders. CNBC.com's Hugh Son joins us now with the details on this bank trade. Uh, Hugh... Why this anticipated move and what's the driving force behind the negativity on some of the bigger lenders now? Hey, good morning, Dom. It is great to be with you. So uh, just to be clear, as you pointed out just last week, Moody's with a slew of of bank rating downgrades. uh, So this is certainly in the air. I met with Fitch earlier this week, and the discussion that we had was really centered around them not wanting to surprise the market of a potential risk of a slew of rating downgrades. And to talk about the mechanics of that, um, they essentially have a score for the U.S. banking industry. And that score uh, is AA-. Um, if conditions deteriorate, for instance, if uh, you know, losses on commercial credit, commercial loans, 
or if interest rates rise and stay higher for longer than, than is anticipated, they would have to take a look at potentially taking that the score down to A+, plus. so from double A- minus to A+. Plus. Now, the problem that that introduces is that our country's top-rated banks, and I'm talking about places like J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, and other, and other banks, are rated at double A-. Minus. So uh, it, the problem created is basically you cannot have banks that are rated higher than the operating environment in which they operate. So it would trigger, potentially, uh, the downgrade of banks such as J.P. Morgan and B of A. And once you've done that, you've got to look at the rest of the 70 or so uh, U.S. institutions that are rated by Fitch and see if those two need to be downgraded a notch just to maintain the gap between the top-rated banks and the other banks. So it's kind of like grading on a curve, in essence, is what it comes down to here with regard to the ratings. I, I wonder, though, uh, and by the way, if you're interested by the viewers out there, listeners on Sirius XM Channel 112, this story just posted on CNBC.com right now. So it's already kind of seeing some pickup here in interest. Uh, I, I, I wonder, though, the reason why folks worry about downgrades sometimes is that those downgrades lead to investment strategy changes. Because some bank investors only want to invest in bonds or stocks of a certain type of rating. Is there a worry from the industry overall that if this were to happen, that there could be a bit of a ripple effect because some investors may not be able to invest in certain types of stocks or bonds anymore from these banks? Absolutely, Don. You, you nailed it. So, you know, there are institutions that are just at the edge of investment grade, pretty low down in that spectrum of an investment grade. And what happens if, you know, the likes of JP Morgan get downgraded and therefore other folks have to be looked at in terms of, uh, of cuts? Does that push some of these institutions actually into non-investment grade? And I think that certainly would have implications. Um, you know, what is illustrative is that after the Moody's downgrade last week, Morgan Stanley analysts basically said that they were looking at uh, the downgraded institutions um, and, and for the possibility that they would one, have to pay higher costs to investors to issue debt, uh, which is now considered slightly more risky. And two, potentially even lose access to debt markets overall. In other words, that investors seek such a high premium uh, for their bonds, that they just wouldn't even be able to afford uh, you know, uh, issuing debt. And what that will, could potentially do, Dom, is increase pressure uh, on bank margins. And, and that's really... One, one of the themes uh, that came out of the Moody's downgrade last week is that, you know, the pressures on the industry on their profit margins are increasing. All right. And banks are already competing a lot with money market funds and treasuries for some of those yields and depositor money. All right. Hewson, thank you very much. And by the way, as I mentioned, for more on this story, it just broke in the last three or four minutes. This story is right now fully on CNBC.com. Our thanks to Hewson for that story. Let's get a check on this morning's top corporate stories outside of banking. Silvana Hinao is back with those. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good morning to you. Well, Amazon Devices Chief David Limp is retiring in the coming months amid ongoing layoffs and struggles to bring in revenue for that division. Limp, who has been at the company for more than 13 years, says he wanted a change in perspective and adding that while he's not sure what's next, it won't be in the consumer electronics space. A succession has not been named yet, but CEO Andy Jassy notes an announcement will come soon. Discover financial shares falling after the company announced it has accepted the resignation 
of Chief Executive Roger Hochschild and will move him to an advisory position to help with the transition. The banking firm also appointing board director John Owen as interim CEO and interim president and forming a special search committee to look for a permanent successor. And Netflix says it will test games on select TVs and computers as it seeks to make them playable on more devices outside of phones and tablets. Starting this week, the company is rolling out a limited beta test to groups in Canada and the UK on TVs and will expand testing on PCs and Macs in the coming weeks, Dom. All right, Silvana, fun and games at Netflix. Thank you very much for that. Well, the retailers are kicking off their earnings season in earnest today with Home Depot reporting second quarter numbers in the next hour. So the key question, can the home improvement chain reverse its downward trend after missing revenue estimates last quarter, which was, by the way, the first back-to-back quarterly decline that we saw since late 2019? Home Depot currently has the largest earnings weighting of any retailer other than Amazon in the S&P 500. So let's get you set up for the report with Michael Baker, senior research analyst over at DA Davidson, covers Home Depot and other stocks like it. Uh, Michael, Home Depot, the concern over the course of the last maybe few quarters, I mean, it's been tough comps, but it's been falling lumber prices. It's been profit margin concerns and everything else. What exactly will be key for you today? Well, we think what we'll hear is still a down quarter uh, on the report in, what, about 20 minutes, but less down than last quarter uh, and, and not getting worse. So, so what we think it, it's all about right now for Home Depot and, and Lowe's and, and some of the other retailers is uh, sort of bouncing along the bottom, stable, whatever adjective you want to uh, use, but not getting worse. And, and expectations are low, so it's not a bad setup into earnings right now in our view. Okay, so if it's a good setup, is this a stock? Is this a company that can benefit? There, there's been a, a huge macro question about whether or not we're seeing some kind of a, a troughing process taking part in the housing market on the residential side of things, whether or not we see a little bit more activity. Interest rates are obviously a big part of that story. Does home improvement like a Home Depot or a Lowe's by extension benefit right now if we start to see the housing market get a little bit better? Well, they will. We don't think they're benefiting yet, but we, we do think they are bouncing along the bottom and getting close to that. But the, the number that we look at is the year-over-year change in home price in home pricing, and that's actually been down four months in a row, which is pretty unprecedented. So, so that's what's been weighing against comps. But as much as it's been down four months in a row on a sequential basis, it is getting better. Uh, and so we think at some point in the next couple of months, we'll start to see uh, home prices up on a year-over-year basis. We think that'll be a signal that comes to bottom for, for the space uh, and can tick, uh, tick back up. Okay, so this is a stock right now that currently trades, I don't know, just about maybe 20, 22 times forward earnings. It's not that far off of the overall market multiple, but is it attractive enough in your mind from a valuation perspective that we do see some kind of an earnings catalyst maybe drive this stock and get some momentum to the near-term upside? Well, yeah, it is trading a little bit above its historical average. Again, in the very short term, just as it relates to today, we, we think that the setup is okay. Uh, low expectations. We think they can beat a little bit, so you might get a little bit of a pop in the stock. We prefer lows, actually, on a longer-term basis just because of the differential and the margins. Uh, Home Depot, uh, best-in-class retailer uh, with higher margins than lows, but lows has been closing that gap over the past four or five years. We think that will continue. Uh, lows has outperformed Home Depot year-to-date, and we think that continues. 
But again, in the very short term, uh, with the way the setup is this morning, we could see a little bit of a pop at Home Depot if we're right on the numbers and they come in, you know, negative, but less negative than, than, than last quarter. All right. Michael Baker at D.A. Davidson likes Lowe's over Home Depot. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon, sir. Thank you. All right. Now to Washington, D.C. Members of Congress are becoming increasingly concerned about artificial intelligence and generated images and videos that are getting harder to de- by the day to determine whether they're real or fake. We're talking about deep fakes, right? Emily Wilkins joins us now with a CNBC exclusive about D.C.'s deep dive into deep fakes. That's a lot of D's, Emily. Well, Dom, we'll add another deed to that. It is, of course, becoming harder and harder to tell when an image or video is created by AI. And some members of Congress can see that impacting everything from national security to your reputation. We have an exclusive information on the formation of a new working AI group headed up by Congressman Derek Kilmer and comprised of members in the centrist New Democrat coalition. Kilmer said ensuring people know what's been faked by AI will be one of the group's top priorities. There's real concerns about the potential for AI-generated disinformation, real concerns about misuse of advanced AI models. And that's the type of thing that requires Congress to get smart and get smart fast. And that's where the New Democrat Coalition has really cut its teeth. Kilmer said he plans to reintroduce a bill that would require the Department of Homeland Security to report on deepfake videos. Other bills involving deepfakes would make it a crime to share altered photos showing real individuals in fake compromising situations. Another bill requires AI images come with a watermark showing that they're not authentic. Dom, the new working group, will also be digging into other issues around AI, including protecting workers who might lose their jobs to the new technology. A la the writer's strike going on right now. So, 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 Emily, when do you think we'll realistically see AI related legislation coming to the floor of Congress? We do know that things move in D.C., but they, they move slowly sometimes. They do, Dom. But what's been so interesting about this issue is how many lawmakers have shown a real interest in the regulation of AI, in coming up with some rules and standards to protect things like national security and personal privacy. I mean, this is only the latest working group that we've seen come from Capitol Hill. There are a number of other bipartisan ones in both the House and in the Senate. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who, of course, is is heading up one of the groups in the Senate, uh, told us that he hopes to have a bill uh, in the next couple of months an ambitious goal, but we'll see what happens. All right. Emily Wilkins with the latest out of AI in Washington, D.C. Thank you very much. Coming up on the show, why yet another big bank on Wall Street is betting that NVIDIA's bull run will continue and how high it thinks that stock can go. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. Morgan Stanley is cutting its price target on Yelp to 32 bucks a share and maintaining its underweight rating. Now, the firm is saying Yelp will likely face competitive challenges long term and is cautious on its ability to compete in that artificial intelligence driven ad landscape. Those Yelp shares right now just kind of getting started with trading. So we'll see how things pick up. Also, UBS increasing its price target on NVIDIA to $540 a share ahead of the company's earnings report next week. UBS is saying that investor expectations have risen substantially, but it recommends they stay the course and remain bullish amid this recent stock pullback that we've seen 
a pullback that's maybe been largely recovered. NVIDIA shares up one and a half percent in the pre-market trade so far after a big bounce back yesterday. Time now for your global briefing. China's central bank unexpectedly cutting rates today from 2.65% to 2.50% amid ongoing efforts to ramp up support for the country's struggling economy. The cut is the second one in three months and follows another batch of disappointing economic data with industrial output rising less than expected and retail sales also rising at a slower pace. And Russia's central bank hiking interest rates by 350 basis points to 12% in an emergency meeting in an effort to halt the rapid depreciation of the Russian ruble. President Putin's economic advisor blaming the loose monetary policy for the plunging currency and accelerating inflation, with the ruble nearing now a 16-month low versus the U.S. dollar. Well, ahead on the show, the one word every investor needs to know today, plus why our next guest says investors should take a page out of hockey legend Wayne Gretzky's playbook. Be where the puck is going to be. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Fitch warning of a potential downgrade for dozens of banks, including J.P. Morgan Chase, from AA to A+, after the ratings agency cut its assessment of the industry's health going back to June. A grand jury indicting former President Donald Trump last night in Atlanta, Georgia, claiming he and his supporters, including Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman, attempted to interfere with the 2020 presidential election. Shares of U.S. Steel pairing back some of yesterday's big gains were jumped nearly 40% to its highest level since March. After privately held company, S-Mark made a $7.8 billion all-cash acquisition bid. Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates reportedly buying up thousands of high-performance NVIDIA chips used for AI applications as they look to supercharge their economies. Shares of Lennar, DR Horton, and NBR all getting a boost after Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway revealed new positions into those companies. The move's adding to an already big rally for home builders with all three names up anywhere from 35 to 42 percent so far this year. And the major Hollywood studios have reportedly extended a new offer to striking workers, including concessions on the use of artificial intelligence and access to viewership numbers as well. Well, taking a look at the markets overall, we did see a bounce back for the Nasdaq trying to see what's happening, but we are keeping a close eye on where the 50-day moving average price is for the NASDAQ composite. You can see there we bumped right up against it on yesterday's session. We are still markedly above its longer-term 200-day trend line, so it's something to keep an eye on. And then with regard to volatility, stock market volatility in the S&P 500, as measured by the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, right now currently stands at 15. It's up markedly, but if you take a look at the longer-term trend line, The 200-day average on a rolling basis is closer to 19. So we're still well below historical levels over the last year or so in terms of stock market volatility. We'll see whether or not that plays in to some of the positioning that traders have right now. For more insight on this, let's bring in Kevin Simpson, Capital Wealth Planning founder and chief investment officer as well. Uh, Kevin, you watch the options market very closely. We've talked to you oftentimes about it. Is there anything that seems concerning to you about the setup right now for traders and investors? 
Well, I think I'm always concerned about a lot of things, Don, but you just pointed out the VIX, and it's almost like it hasn't had a pulse in two years. So from a trading perspective and certainly from an option perspective, it's a um, it, it, it's like a lamb sleeping against the lion. So what concerns me moving forward certainly are valuations. We can make a case that markets are close to full valuation here based on next year's earnings. Obviously, the data from inflation is important to determine what the Fed's going to do next. And this week specifically, it just comes down to the U.S. consumer because we get retail sales today and we get the retailers reporting and listening to what they're saying about profit margins and sales moving forward are the things that I'm going to be paying the most attention to. So if we're just showing the calendar right now, because as you point out, there's a ton of stuff happening with regard to a check on the pulse of the U.S. consumer. Uh, is there anything that can happen either from one or two key reports or thematically across the week that changes the market narrative overall and, and where stocks could go from here for the second half of the year? Yeah, absolutely, Dom. And very specifically, it comes down to, to profit margins and, and pricing and earnings forecasts. So, you know, inflation coming down is great. I mean, we don't want the Fed to continue to raise rates. They need to see an abatement of inflation. Lower inflation also allows us to have an expanding multiple. And maybe right now we're looking at the markets trading 19 times next year's earnings. But the one thing we have to pay attention to is that inflation coming down can affect earnings and profit margins. It hasn't yet. You know, Econ 101 is prices go up, sales go down, and that just hasn't happened yet for a lot of reasons. But you can push the consumer only so far in terms of price appreciation. So what we want to see is, is are retail sales still resilient today? And are the earnings reports showing that people are still spending? There's been some cracks in it a little bit, just kind of percolating under the surface. You know, Tesla's been lowering pricing on cars. Ford slashed the price of the Lightning. Now, they say that that has a lot to do with supply chains easing up, and it very, very well may. But I have to think that it mixed in there is some pricing pressures. We on Procter & Gamble, their earnings were really, really solid. But there were some hints that they can push pricing only so far, and it was affecting sales. So paying attention to all those retailers that you just showed this week, I think, is going to be very, very important to get the state of the consumer. Because as long as the consumer is resilient, which is our word of the day, the stock market can continue to do well. Once that, pressing, once that pricing pressure puts too much weight on the consumer, then we've got to be really, really cautious moving forward. All right. So resilient consumer, that's what we've been all banking on. Uh, Kevin, before we let you go, is there a part of the market that you stay completely away from right now, just a little too risky? Well, I have to be allocated to all sectors. So I think if we're talking about things that might be a little ahead of their skis, the megatech AI stocks, and I know you're, you're covering NVIDIA, you know, like, as we all pay attention to it, the valuation isn't a bubble by any means, but taking some profits into strength, I think, makes sense. So for us, we own Microsoft and Apple, and thank goodness we do, but we've been trimming them along the way on the way up. Again, just a little ahead of their skis, valuations a little pressed. So much of the market hasn't participated yet. There's been a broadening out in July and into August for sure, but there's opportunities in underfavored sectors. And I think if you look at financials and healthcare and energy, that uh, it, you can make some money in this market towards the end of the year. All right. Capital Wealth Planning's Kevin Simpson, thank you very much for that. Uh, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now on the offer. Squawk Box will pick up the coverage coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.